As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon. Spam! A lot! Monty Python may have made an appearance at some point. So we're going to talk about our favorite Arthurian games. And also, we're going to catch up with our man on the run from the authorities, JJB. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 933 FM broadcasting at University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. Oh, it is a lovely, beautiful day. I'm sure it is when you hear this because it's live as usual. I am Jack, and I am joined by Kayla. And also our man in the field. That's me, JJB. JJB, Joel, Joel Bryant. Uh, Joel, where are you right now? I am huddled in the corner of our. <laughs> Or a, uh, I don't know, which province uh, was Saskatchewan the fourth? Joel, are you safe? No, uh, is, is it everyone around Joel safe? He no. sounds sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> He's huddled in an alleyway in Canada's fourth province? Is that what you said? Quick trivia question for our many listeners. Yes. Put it on Instagram. Which province, which, in which order did Saskatchewan enter, enter the Dominion? Um, it can't be as bad as Newfoundland. So I'm going to say it's second as bad as Newfoundland. <laughs> or they're going to it was like it was like Ontario and it was Upper Lower Canada and the Maritimes first or most of them. And then Saskatchewan Alberta was like Rupert's Land for a while and then it became what they are. Rupert's and Land. BC? I think BC was second to last. <laughs> I know so little about Federation and and all this stuff. Is for somebody who's I guess lived in this country his entire life mostly, uh, except brief sojourns to um, Korea. It means nothing to me. If you were to ask me what era or what uh, year all this stuff happened, it's like. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, maybe once I take this tour, uh, I'll be able to answer this question. You'd be a probably a licensed Saskatchewan historian at this point. So. <laughs> I'll ask him two questions. One. Uh, in what order did you join? And two, who cares? The MNR, and what, who can I yell at? <laughs> Saskatchewan, I can find this out for you. Saskatchewan joined the Federation, um, or sorry, yeah, entered Confederation September 1st, 1905. Well, look at that. So it was on the same, at the same day as Alberta. Same day? Uh, yeah, September 1st. Yeah. It was well before Newfoundland. It was after PEI, BC, Manitoba. New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Quebec, and Ontario. So okay. it's kind of somewhere in the middle. All right. Well, in case you didn't know, Android Dungeon is a show about Canadian geography and history uh, <laughs> and the people who enjoy it, which is a very, very, very small group of people. Now you're alienating your listeners. <laughs> uh, it is a show about games, movies, music, whatever we feel like. Uh, sometimes local shows. Sometimes local shows. Um We'll, we'll start with we'll start with Joe. Ooh, sounds all weird for a second. Joel, what have you been playing recently? 
I played a really cool game. I went to the local game shop here in Regina. It's called, uh, oh, can't remember. But I remember the game. <laughs> did you take called, any pictures? <laughs> I did, yeah. I'll send them to you. But uh, the game was called Downfall. Downfall. It's a puzzle game. Uh, yeah, you can look it up, but it's basically an abstract strategy where you rotate cogs and you use gravity to get your little chips, your little circle chips from the top to the bottom, and you have two colors, and they're both numbered one to five. Okay. Uh, so you have a total of ten chits to get to the bottom, and you rotate You can ha- rotate one cog as much as you want on your turn. Mm-hmm. And your opponent, who's on the other side, is doing the exact same thing. But his cog's holes are in different places, and he's doing it in slightly different ways. So what's symmetrical to you and what might work out for you will probably not for him. Interesting. Uh, also, since you're each rotating the same cog, sometimes you might drop a, a higher number down first, which is problematic, right? Because if you get the... Say, for example, I haven't dropped out my two yet at the bottom, and I get a three near the bottom, and he rotates and drops it out. Well, then I just lose. You lose the game? Yeah. You have to do them in order. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, interesting. So if he's if you've got the three in the last cog, and your opponent rotates out, you're out of luck. So how how much of this is like how quick is a game and how spiteful is this? Because to me it sounds like you sure you can try to win, but it seems easier to try to make the other person lose. Well, it would be easy, except that you're on the opposite side of the machine, so you can't see what they're doing. So okay, so one more question. You say opposite size of the machine. Is this a giant 3D game that looks like Kerplunk, or is this a very tiny-looking, simple setup? Yeah, it's it's about a foot and a half high, and it's five cogs, and everything feeds in from the top and then feeds down to the bottom, so it's like a rectangle. Mm-hmm. Pretty good game. Um, they um, seem to think it was... It's one of those kind of like uh, Park Brothers... Uh, cartoony, colorful games. Yeah, like from the 50s or 60s? More like uh, 80s, like kind of like Mousetrap. Okay. Um, wasn't wasn't life-changing. But <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Uh, they seem to like it. They're playing it quite a bit there at the at the game cafe. It's always interesting when you see what the, uh, the game cafes really pull out as their... Like their go-tos, because when, yeah. when we were at Board Game Bliss, I remember the, we were only, I've only been there once, but uh, I remember the guys there, they were either on break or something like that, and they went to the center where they have this game-playing area, and they were playing Blockus together, which was a, an, it, it's a great game, but it was an interesting choice to see from this store that sells all these different types of games, but they, their default was Blockus, at least at that day. I don't know whether it was a regular thing or not, but the way they were talking about them playing so effortlessly struck me as... Uh, <laughs> A regular thing. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. I like it. Yeah. Well, well that's good. Yeah, um, the game cafe was pretty cool. Uh, the people were nice. I, I spent the whole time talking to the owners, and, you know, they, they worry about all the same things that other cafes worry about, memberships, um, events, how to attract people on slow days, mm-hmm. um, the, the pitfalls of magic. <laughs> Imagine, yeah, I'm yeah. fully acclimatized. I've already learned to hate Alberta and all. <laughs> all <parts>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know the Saskatchewanians uh, hated Alberta. I thought they were indifferent, but it shows what I know. Nope. 
apparently it's a thing. Um, one last question for you. The So you're talking about the similar sort of fears and woes of board game cafes. Do they have the exact same setup as the ones we know? Yeah, five bucks. Do they have drink specials? So they only have two bottles available. Bottles? Apparently nobody... Nobody there is interested in drinking. <laughs> what? <laughs> where Where were you? <laughs> Was it a dry country or a county? <laughs> no, I guess they're they're at the underneath the Holiday Inn. What? And I guess what? there's a lot of bars in the area. Yeah. But nobody wants to go to their place to drink. Well, you think that that's a missed opportunity then? When you have all, you're underneath the Holiday Inn, price something affordably, and uh, get those rowdy drunks into your place, playing some board games and drinking and buying things. Yeah, as you say, they don't get anybody from the hotel, and I'm assuming that's just a failure marketing on their part, but um, they think it's because everybody that travels is by themselves, but that's definitely not true. Mm. There lots of families. Yeah, you'd think lots of families, but maybe it's just another case of like, oh, if you're feeling tired from uh, being on the road or bouncing all over the place, like, do you really want to spend some time bra- burning your brain playing Agricola or... Uh. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. All right. Um, Kayla, what have you been playing recently? So, Jack, this was um, a good weekend in the board game. It's kind of a semi-rhetorical question on my part. <laughs> uh, okay, so we picked up a couple of board games this weekend, and we played two of them. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing two abstract games. Sounds like we're all playing abstract games this weekend. So we yeah, played. That's true. So we learned Azul, and we learned Santorini. All right, so let's talk about Santorini first, because Joel sure. also. Have you played Santorini yet, Joel? No, Sam played it and described it to me, but I haven't played it myself. Okay, but you've played Azul, so we'll talk about that after. But, uh, Kayla, give us a rundown of Santorini. Okay. So, Santorini, first and foremost, um, the components are really adorable. You start by setting up this kind of playing area on top of... What's it on top of? Like a, it's, it's like a... It's like coming out of the ground. A plastic almost. mountain. Imagine Mount Olympus or something floating in the sky over the clouds, and then you have the, the, the very top that's been flattened. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is the first person to get one of their workers onto the third level of a building is the winner. And so that sounds super simple, but um, how the game works is that you move a worker, you can build a tile, and your worker can move laterally at the same level um, and any of the eight spaces around it, or it can move up one level, again, in the eight spaces around it. And um, you can only ever move up one level. So if, as you, so now that, you can only move up one level, you have to start building up and moving across levels so that you can get to the third level. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other part is that you don't have to be at a level to build at it. So yeah. I, your opponent can be on the ground and build at the top, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that they can do what's called capping your building and putting a little blue dome on top of it. Adorable which if, blue dome. It's so cute. If anyone, any, People should just Google Santorini because I think this is what it's, Santorini looks quick like. Quick interruption. It has this great Greek aesthetic because mm-hmm. if you look at, like, what's, what do you think of when you think of Greece? You think of like these these white buildings and then and these blue dome tops. Blue dome tops. And anyway, just... Yeah, so that's really all there is to it. You just keep going back and forth until someone gets to the top. And there are... Um, so that's like the basic game. And there's also god cards that give you an advantage in some way or your opponent a disadvantage which change up the game so we threw in one of those just to see what would happen and that kind of changed how the game and there are a lot of these god cards too it's not Mm -hmm. just like you have 10 and you go through them there's something like 16 or more than 16 tons of them a lot yeah so there's a lot of variety and it I think it played really well at two players it goes up to four but once you get to four you're playing teams made no sense to me 
I find that confusing. But yeah. I think it's actually a really, really good two-player game. Yeah, just like it, definitely one of those games that as soon as you play, like, what do we do? We played three or four right back instantly. Something like that. Because it goes so quickly, too. And it's, I don't want to compare it to a Hive, which is another abstract, but it's uh, definitely one of these games that once you start to play it and you get a feel for it, the turns go so quickly, and you also know when you've lost. Like, you can look at your opponent and you look at your own board and you go, oh, God, I screwed up. Now Kayla's one move away from winning and I have no way to stop her. Or you can see, like, chess maybe a couple moves away. It's like, oh, I made it. I've screwed up. But uh, it, it's it's a lovely little game that um, the theme is obviously tacked on, but I think it works. And... Um, we have limited experience with these god cards, which change things up a bit, but um, so far it seems like something that you could... I don't know if it travels especially well because of all the mm. plasticky components and things, but... I don't think it travels well, but it fits together nice. And the other part is that... Um, so there's three levels plus the domes, and um, as you start moving up the levels, there's less of that level available, so not everyone can build to three. Exactly. So, the yeah, the, the, the components are limited in that sense, so... Um, Overall, just game strictly two player. No, yeah. that's what we we're saying. So you can go up to four if you want, but I can't imagine even three player sounds insane to me because it, it it just I think it's a two player game that somebody has looked at and said, well, we can try to make this three or four, but I don't know about it. And but they include it anyway because I think maybe two player exclusive games are a niche. And even though to me that's like my eyes bulge when I see a two player exclusive because I think it's means somebody really focused on refining it, but. Um, I feel like you guys have had this game for a while. Am I wrong? No, no we, we just got just it. just got it yesterday, Joel. No. So it's, but the interesting thing about it is that and, uh, it's, my understanding of Santorini is kind of a re-implementation or a, a recreation of a game called uh, TAC, which uh, I'm looking up the mm. Wikipedia entry, and I thought it was an old game from years and years ago, but they're saying this was based on something from a book from 2016. Um, not 2016, but uh, the King Killer Chronicle, which is um, I think our friend, uh, friend of the show, Harry, <laughs> is uh, fond of those uh, <laughs> novels. But um, the objective of Tack is to be the first to connect any two. Uh, well, this is opposite edges of the board with their pieces, but the difference is that you're building. Uh, similarly, you're building things up, and you can cap off a piece, and nobody can build that piece anymore. So there's some variations, but it could be just screwing things up here, but. Anyway, it was Santorini. It's uh, not an overly expensive game, but when you open it up and you look at all the plastic components, you you can see that this isn't something they're gouging you. Like, uh, let's just say a certain certain game like Splendor, where you open it up and you wonder why <laughs> it's <laughs> what's Splendor retail for? Something like in the fifties. Something why are the ridiculous. Coins so light. And, yeah, and th with the <laughs> yeah. cheap quality coins now too. They're not even thick poker chips. So it's like just give me the stickers and I'll get my own poker chips at this point. But. Um, so anyway, that was Santorini, the first of uh, the other. And uh, Kayla, what was the second game that I've already spoiled? <laughs> uh, the other game was Azul, another strategy game, but this one is based on tile drafting. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Yes, and um, you're trying to, I guess, fill in like a little mosaic on your player board. Exactly, and yeah. You do that by gathering tiles from the factory, which is the center of the table. And you kind of have to plan it out because there's actually a lot going on here. You have to match tiles to their colors on your wall. And um, I think there's actually a variant where you don't do that, where you do something else, but we're not we're not there yet. Interesting. And it's uh, so the theme of the game is based around the idea is that this Portuguese uh, ruler uh, visited uh, Moorish Spain and was floored when he saw the Palace of Alhambra and this uh, unique style of uh, 
I don't know if you want to call it architecture or design that was used involving these uh, these tiles. So he loved it so much that he went back and to Portugal and he des- demanded people use the same thing. And the game is based around the idea that you are building uh, sections of the wall using these these tiles, and you have to follow certain rules to do so. And failure to comply <laughs> results in punishment that can get extraordinarily bad if you've managed to get screwed at the end of the game or end of a round with a bunch of tiles nobody else wanted, but are all the same type. Um, but it plays remarkably quick, and there's so much strategy. We played it. Uh, do we do three times, Kayla? Or twice, just two? because twice. we're tied. Twice we're tied. So we have to break it tonight. Um, but Joel, what were your thoughts? Because I know you played it and you loved it, or at least that's what my recollection was. Yeah, fantastic. I actually played four players, so I probably four players. What was that like? Um, well, you know, you get you do get a lot in the middle, but I think people go to the middle a lot quicker because um, if you want to get what you want, uh, you, you know, what there's you three want, other people you between you each time you take a move, so there's really no planning. Yeah. Uh, you take what you can on the turn that you have, <laughs> and then you see what happens in the next round, right? It's very much like, I don't know, DC deck building or something. Oh! Where you're playing five player. <laughs> don't, don't look at something on the board and be like, mm-hmm, I'm going to buy that. Or, you know, the same with Azul. Like, I'm, I'm going to take those blues next time. So maybe you, you know, take something else from the yeah. outside so that you push that blue into the middle so that you get your five blues sitting there and you're like, Mwah! I, I hope... My opponent doesn't take those, right? Um, or, or you could even in a two-player game say, "Okay, Kayla already has the five yeah. blue, so I'll push five blues in there, and she can't even take them yeah. unless she wants to pay penalties." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's then, so that's interesting that you don't get any of that in a bigger player game because I relied on that a lot when yeah, we were playing. Well, that's it. You you frighten me a lot, Joel, when you invoked this this randomness of the so like uh, the market row in a sense of like you can't plan on anything being ahead. That's my issue with like uh, going back to <clears throat> splendor again is that you end up in this situation where it's like, well, I want to do this, but in a game in a player count above two, then what are the odds that you're you'll be able to make those decisions still versus with two player? At least in our two games of Azul, you, I, I was setting up some turns in ahead. And hoping Kayla wouldn't mess yes. them up, but or I was looking at tiles and knowing that Jack couldn't take them, and I didn't have to stress about rushing to them. Yeah, exactly. Or I, yeah, that's getting into next level where you're looking at your opponent, kind of like what Joel was just saying about like, oh, they don't, they're not interested in blues anymore because they've already got them, or maybe God forbid they've managed to fill up all their blues too, and now they're getting wicked bonus points at the end of the game too. It's just, it, it was. I cannot stress though enough about how pretty the game is. It's so mm-hmm. colorful. The tiles are so nice. The production quality on the tiles is tremendous. I hope they keep it up. Like, just don't pull a Splendor. Raise the price to keep the the tiles at the quality they do over time. Don't degrade them. Unless production gets cheaper and great, good for you. Everyone wins. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you saying about... Um, sorry, what's that math game? That they, you know, always in the newspaper with the Sudoku? and rows. Sudoku. Okay. It's, so it feels Sudoku-ish, side. yeah. Kayla briefly mentioned that the other side is kind of, it's just gray, uh-huh. and you get to make it yourself. Yeah. The way the, the only rule there is that you can't have the same color in the same column or row. Interesting. So wow. It's basically just like the other side, except you decide which is where. Wow, you could really dig a grave on that yeah, one. I love it. <laughs> but it's very much Sudoku in color. Oh, man, I didn't even, I did not know the other side even had anything on it. I just looked at the front <laughs> side, and it's like... That's interesting. Now I'm I'm really yeah. intrigued by that. But yeah, so once you get pro and <laughs> you've solved everything on the 
on the pre-padded side. You guys should give that a try. Well, I'm just really, in case you guys can't tell, we're all pretty, Kale and I have only played it twice. Did you get one game in, Joel, or did you do a couple? This one, yeah. Just based on our, our this is surface impression of this game, it's a hit. Mm-hmm. Or at least it's something that I would be really happy to just pull because it it, it it plays very quickly and I think you could travel with this quite easily as well because you don't even need to necessarily bring these the little extra discs that you're kind of keeping the four on like you could just bring the bag with you and your player boards and that's it yep. but, and it's accessible you could teach it to anybody oh yeah yeah it's super easy and it's the same thing as Santorini and the Santorini even advertised on the back of the box learn in 30 seconds play forever because it, eventually you're just going to reach the point where you're especially with all the god cards but even though some people are kind of mixed on some of the god abilities like i think one of them is explicitly broken and that you shouldn't play with it because that person will win every time if they know <laughs> what they're doing but um so i gotta ask here uh zach and kayla i played this monday i gave a high praise when did you buy this uh saturday you buy it in person? We bought it in person, Saturday. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, it's been a long time coming, right? You've been planning on getting it? Well, Kayla's had her eye on this for a long time. Yeah. It, and Santorini, own... too. Yeah, I've had my eye on both of those for a long time. So we just happened to be in the store, and it was time to pull the trigger. It's so. a funny coincidence, though. Yeah, I didn't realize you had played it Monday. And then you and you actually you raved about it, or at least as much as you can rave about it by like a short little message. <laughs> oh, but, uh, Jack didn't yeah. tell me that. No, but I was I was extremely happy when Kayla picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> At least they have the JJB seal of approval. The JJB seal of approval. It means are, a lot. When are we going to get that Android dungeon thing on now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get some stickers and go into stores and just slap them on stuff. It's like. to monetize. Get charged with vandalism, probably. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Uh, it's funny you mentioned, or I mentioned stickers actually. So I'm I'm congratulating myself <laughs> in this one. But uh, on the way to go, Jack. On the box of Santorini, bizarrely enough, I don't know if there's a typo or on the author's name or what, but uh, there's a sticker that goes that has been placed kind of crudely over where the uh, the, yeah, it's not the even designer's name. Super well. Yeah, and I don't know whether they misspelled something or or what, but. It, it's kind of like playing um, Feast for Odin, or not Feast for Odin, um, Cottage Garden was one of the most explicitly poorly printed games we ever got because it came with, um, I forget the term for it, but you basically had to fix the manual <laughs> and also yes. the game board. Yes. <laughs> Which was it was like a little sticker to put over top. Yeah, exactly. It came with a couple of stickers to cover up text in the manual and uh, to cover up on the board itself because it was misprinted. And I don't cheaper than a reprint, I'm sure. Ex- well, exactly. But it's funny how it, with Kickstarter games, for example, Brass, uh, sometimes waiting for for a while, um, was delayed because the factory they got their final test proof and they looked at it and they didn't like the way the pieces were looking. So they said, "All right, well, I'm sorry, guys. We're going to delay this by another couple of weeks, but we want this to be absolutely perfect." Um, the con- container Kickstarter did the same thing, where they sent them the final proof for these uh, resin ships, but the Chinese factory had used um, a different material <laughs> than they had promised, and it like cracked in their hands. So they said, oh, "Well, now we have to do it again." Remember your. Um Age of War, was it? Clash of Cultures. or Clash of Cultures, where they melted. The greasy plastic. plastic. I've never seen anything like it. And we've, Joel, we, Kayla. Right onto the board. Yeah, we have touched many plastic miniatures in our days. And I have never felt something that actually melted and left greasy residue on my hands and on the board. Like a shiny, shiny residue. It's unbelievable. Incredibly poor. What game was this? Clash of Cultures. Oh, okay. 
I want to know, though, like, these printers, where are they? And they must just be making hand over face because everybody's just waiting. You know, all, all you hear from game companies is, oh, I'm just waiting for the printers. Yeah. Which means that they're firing at all cylinders. They're always running. They're always making money. How do I invest in these printers, Jack? I, I don't know. I, I'd be... Um I'd be waiting there with you to do it. It'd be, it, they're all overseas, I think, except for a couple of guys that I think are um, uh, located, lo- not necessarily locally, but in North America. So it's uh, hopefully the trade war talk never comes down because if, if my cardboard and plastic gets uh, messed with, Jack will be an unhappy camper very quickly. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I think, Kayla, what do you, what would you give Azul? Uh, I really liked Azul. I would give it um, five out of six mosaic tiles. <laughs> five out of six. Oh. Good. <laughs> six out of six? I don't know. I th- six out of sorry, six. Sorry. No, no. The only thing that I think could be improved, and we talked about this, is that the board itself, where you oh, put your yeah, tiles, yeah. could be indented. Yeah. And when I saw oh, that, I... Spoiled I, by size. I know. I know spo- we're so spoiled. And also, Lisboa did it, too. Yeah, they did. It it's it would be it would add a lot of cost to it, but it like a nice double thick board with uh, indentations so for good. it. Oh, oh, that's mama. Funny because, that's funny because I taught. Well, I I got was involved in teaching a group of people at the event terraforming Mars, including uh-huh. Seth. Yeah, and Seth's criticism was the same thing. This needs, um, you know, insets for yeah. your production because that cube can get bumped around. And oh yeah, how much were you making around? And of course, you know. Dan, who says, well, of course you can buy that for extra money. No, you can. <laughs> with everybody else, right? They, they, they offer it. You just got to pay. Yeah, there's a company, I forget, I think it's a Canadian company, actually. I was tempted because they have a couple of these overlays. Um, one's for Terraforming Mars. They had another one for uh, New Through the Ages. Especially, That's another example of this game where you're mm-hmm. moving so many cubes around and it's easy to kind of get them knocked away or kind of sliding on you versus just like to be able to put them into a little slot it's just scythe has spoiled everyone with the double thick boards and it really upped the game all right well i gotta go three o'clock time for my tour joel thank you for catch you guys later have fun joel have a good tour yeah bye bye that was joel bryant calling in from saskatchewan regina regina so was that two hours away well, not two hours time. Two hour time, time difference, yeah. yeah. Getting a nice tour on a lovely Thursday. <laughs> when you're listening to this, it's Thursday. Unless you're Joel's boss, in which case it's definitely not Thursday. Unless you're Joel's boss. And if you're listening, congratulations. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> I'm impressed. Um, on that note, we're going to take a musical break, but just want to quickly run down uh, Azul. Great little abstract. Plays great at two. I'm getting concerned based on Joel's descriptions of four-player. That sounds almost untenable. Three, maybe. Let's just not do it. Um, Santorini, as far as I can tell, only do it at two players. Not that we've tried it, but just based on my surface uh, inspection. And also Downfall. Is that what Joel called it? <laughs> I that, think so. Which is the name of this um, World War II film showing the end of Hitler's days inside of the bunker where the famous Hitler yelling memes have come out of where people just resubtitle it. But uh, Downfall, which is decidedly not about Hitler, but about <laughs> spinning gears and dropping numbers in an order down into a cup. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at uh, Kayla. What's our Instagram account? Our Instagram is Androids Dungeon CFRU. And yeah. we post photos of games and we tell you what we think about them. And um, generally, you should just buy every game that we 
post. Yeah, we, we won't steer you wrong, folks. And you can email us at Droid Dungeon Radio. And the last but not least, you can also, well, like second last, not least, you can uh, check us out on Twitter. Barely touch it, but uh, every now and then there's something mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, you can check us out on um, your very favorite podcasting application. Yeah, Just search Android Dungeon Radio. Yeah. If you have an iPhone, you can check us out on the uh, iTunes. No, not iTunes. Podcasting on your iPhone. It's just like built in. It's one of those things. Yeah, just just look for us. You might find us. You might not. You'll Big find deal. us. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. This is a story for blues singers, baby. This is a story for a ship's captain, too You never know just what's around the corner What pain or pleasure is gonna come at you
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Sad and Beautiful World by Love and Rockets from the album Sweet F.A. Sweet F.A., a term not necessarily heard too often these days. Uh, depending on who you talk to, it can mean <laughs> a couple of things. If you're British, Sweet Fanny Adams. If you're not, I can't say it on the air. <clears throat> uh, album from 1996. Good year, good year. Um, kind of tunes, uh, tunes, <clears throat> relates to something we were talking about a little while ago, um, but also that kind of flows around a the theme because uh, last night, Kel and I watched a film that I've seen before and I'm a huge fan of, but we hadn't seen in a while. And Kel, to her credit, uh, gave it her all and watched every bit of it. Uh, what does that mean, Jack? It means that uh, sometimes the movies aren't as interesting to you as they are to me. That's not true. <laughs> it's not about interest level, Jack. It's about... Also, don't shame me in front of your listener. <laughs> You're the listener. <laughs> so it's just a, a weird discussion on the yeah. air. But anyway, it's uh, from The Guest, um, starring a handsome man from Downton Abbey and girl from It Follows. That's where he's from. <laughs> he's also Beauty and the Beast, too. He was oh, uh, the yes. Beast. <laughs> he's really good looking. <laughs> he's got those electric blue eyes. Eh? He was great. Great in this movie. Uh, the guess, but the reason I uh, kind of fits with it too is that uh, they use another Love and Rockets on Haunted when the minutes pass and to a great effect in that one too. But some of Love and Rockets kind of come back in a big way. Um, so, Kayla, what did we get up to today? Uh, Jack, today was a pretty cool day. We walked over to our local theater. Our local theater, which is the, the River Run Center, yeah. right on the river in Guelph. And we saw a production of Spamalot, which um, both was um, directed by our fo- good friend Fiona, stage managed and by... And also, I'm going to say friend of the show. She was Friend on. of the show, Fiona. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine. <laughs> a friend of mine from work, Tyler, was stage manager. My boss had a big role in it, and his son was also in it. Um, I think that was the only people that I... The, the, all the people that we knew in it. And we were front row. Yeah. Basically, we're VIP. Yeah, and I got the stretch on my leg and it didn't uh, seize up. Exactly. I was initially skeptical because when Kayla said front row seats, I get nervous because especially some of these very silly shows, <laughs> I'm concerned yes. that the audience, the, the actor is going to make fun of me or try to get me to do things. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. <laughs> Poor Jack. None of that happened. The closest no. it came was somebody looked for a high five and I gave him a high five. Yeah, so. that was good of you. I thought you were going to let him get, leave him hanging. I was oh, like, no, you, Jack, you're you, going to ruin the show. You never leave someone hanging on a high five, no yeah. matter what. So what did you think of the show, Jack? I really enjoyed it. I've, I've, I've been, wa- to be honest, I've wanted to see Spamlet for a while. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was as musically as it was. I thought it was more like going to be a, more of a weird sort of play implementation of Holy Grail. Um, 
but the songs were all fairly entertaining and it moves very briskly mm-hmm. so it it's a great little great little show put on by the uh, hard working folks at the what, Royal City Musical Royal City Musical Production RCMPI yeah, I, I didn't want to say RCMP. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that <laughs> no, sounded it's right. RCMPI, <laughs> yeah. I think. Got to put the I it's in there just to make sure. Um, but but yeah, they did a was, great job. It was a really good show. It moved fast. There was tons of energy. Everyone, like the, yeah, that's the people, <clears throat> uh, the people that were cast for the the roles were great. It yeah. was really fun, really funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, it takes a bit. There's like not everything makes me laugh like out loud. So which Jack can attest to. So that was... Uh, <laughs> you were really... I'm trying to think of there were a couple of times when you were really laughing <laughs> there and it was for something silly that I just kind of looked over you. It was, like <laughs> it was a good show. They did a great, great Don't job. Don't shame me in front of your listener. <laughs> they, uh, all, basically, if all your favorite scenes are going to be in there in some form or another, mm-hmm. interpreted in certain ways. Like I was telling Kayla, one of my favorite scenes from it is when... Um, John Cleese's uh, character of he's playing Lancelot in it and uh, he gets the message to rescue what he assumes is a princess and for some reason he's just like this homicidal maniac in the film and he runs in and just brutally murders everyone in this castle <laughs> and they're not even putting up a resistance I think he's just like and they're playing this triumphant music as he's slaughtering innocents <laughs> and, and well I'm not going to go into the the punchline of it but it was just they did a good job sort of to yes. kind of turn it on its head but so unfortunately, it was only running for the weekend. So by the yeah, time you, you hear the show, you're not going to be able to see it. But it was really good. And if they ever do it again, um, you should check it out. Or you should check it out the next time that the RCMPI does anything. They actually always put on really good shows. I think their next show is in the fall, and it's Annie. And this is some free advertising for them. So you're welcome, Fiona. I'll hit you up for this later. Yeah, yeah. Friend, friends of the show. And also, <laughs> CFRU is all about community stuff. So mm-hmm. this is this is community as it gets. It is community, yeah. <laughs> Especially because so many people, like, it's all people from the community that exactly. are in it. And uh, I think it's also, like, a lot of volunteers and mm-hmm. I think they the whole cast also does like all of the sets it, and all of the costumes project. oh totally is so it's and, a great it was a great show and just like uh, people who work on Android's Dungeon they're paid handsomely for it that's why they work so hard on it, it it's something that you don't get up and do because you love it so much you do it because you're paid tons of money to are do we it. paid for this oh you didn't know I haven't gotten paid oh I, I guess all the, the checks just go right into my uh, <laughs> giant uh, uh. CFRU bank account. <laughs> it's uh, it's like Scrooge McDuck. Got <laughs> and it. paid in CFRU dollars. Anyway, so we saw Spamalot <clears throat> and it was really good and we loved it. Speaking of Spamalot, Monty Python, Holy Grail, that's what it is based on. Holy Grail based on, of course, uh, the Arthurian legends of uh, Knights of the Round Table. Um, the, I think mostly based off of all those are kind of the, from the Mallory interpretations of the Arthurian stories. But I wanted to do on this, uh, at the, the second half of the show here, aside from Shill, good friends of ours, and also uh, good little community theater, is talk about some games related to the Holy Grail. And there are a bunch. Believe it or not, uh, one of the most popular stories uh, of all time has had a couple of games based on it over the years. Wait, pause for a second. Yep. So before the show, Jack and I were talking about what we're going to talk about. Yeah. We did a little bit of planning, which may shock the listener, um, because it probably doesn't sound planned, but it is. <laughs> Don't spoil it. Girl. And uh, Jack was talking about games we were going to talk about, and I asked if we could talk about Feast for Odin, and he said no. But now I'm realizing that one of the items in Feast for Odin is the Holy Grail. 
Is it really? That's it right. totally is. Okay. Why well, can't I talk about Feast for Odin? Okay, so talk about Feast for Odin. Then no, that's you can continue your story. I just well, wanted to interrupt Feast for Odin. Okay, Feast for Odin, you will... Good, for, good memory, by the way. Thank you. you get it from, and it also has a crown of England. Yeah, you get it for pillaging, so it, yeah. it kind of relates to it. So we'll give, we'll give Feast for Odin like, bonus points as... Uh, for the honorable mention of Arthurian games. Thank you. So, uh, Kayla has definitely played one of these. Um, oh. And I have played two of them, and the third one I want to play, but um, haven't gotten around to it yet. And I don't know if I will unless I see it on sale, because it's. I was originally really interested in it, but now some of the war gamers have said it's not. A, it's a little more dice rolly than they would have liked. Um, so I'm going to start off with um, the one Kayla has not played, but I have played and it's called Shadows Over Camelot. And it's by one of our favorite designers, Bruno Cathala. And Cathala. you basically take on this, and it's it's a game that influenced, I think, a lot of other games and doesn't get enough credit, at least for inspiring them, unless it ripped off other people. And if so, shame on you, Bruno, but I don't think it did. And it follows um, that you, everyone is on a team except for one person who's randomly working against you guys. And you're moving out across the board and you're trying to look for the Holy Grail and you're trying to solve quests and you're trying to deal with the fact that the nefarious pikes are setting up around, or picks, excuse me, are setting up around Camelot. And uh, you have so many turns before the despair tokens become so much that you your quest for the Holy Grail fails. Um, it is not a good game. I don't know if I would recommend this one. It's a neat game, and I think it might actually be, um, after Talisman, the first non-sort of Parker Brothers board game I ever played in my life. I played in university when some friends of ours actually had it randomly, and we played it, and I did not enjoy myself. Uh, but maybe if I played it again, I'd feel a little better about it. But unfortunately, I don't know if it's true with the expansion for it, but the game is mathematically solved. And I mean this in the sense that um, when people say solved, they mean that you can do certain things in this game every time and you're guaranteed the win. And if you are the betrayer, you cannot stop this, no matter what you do, because unfortunately the way the cards are handed out and dealt in this game, you can always win. So that's one of the flaws in it, although that we're talking like real high-level stuff. If you were just to buy this game off the shelf, set down, or sit down and just learn it, nobody's going to get away with the strategy. But maybe people who have been playing this game, which has been out for a while, may come across this. But anyway, there is an expansion called Merlin's Company, I think. And um, Shadows Over Camelot is my number three Arthurian game. Number two is Pendragon. Which is which has been talked about a little bit on the show, as I think I've kind of expressed my interest in it. But it's a GMT war game, similar to Cuba Libre or um, or uh, Fire in the Lake or um, oh, I forget the one about uh, Gaelic uh, stuff. But anyway, it's, it's set in the Coin Universe, which is this game design um, by ex-CIA man, I believe, Volko Runke. I could be mispronouncing his name. I apologize. It's a funny name. It's an interesting name. And basically, it's a card-driven war game where um, each person takes on a side in the conflict uh, set over this area. And in Pendragon, it's uh, you've got all the different groups um, uh, fighting over England at the time. And each one, it's an asymmetrical game, asymmetrical game, and that everyone has different things they're good at. 
and you flip over cards and you decide whether you want to take action on the cards or not. And if you take the actions, you can use it to do the card itself, which is a special thing, or you can use it for operational points, which is basic stuff like moving guys around, building bases going on. But it's set in the period of um, kind of the fight for against the Anglo-Saxons or Anglos and the Saxons and the I think the Brits or the Romans still floating around. So that's one of those games there too. Um, really dense war game, not for everyone, and the price tag is kind of up there too, but it's a gorgeous looking game, and the people who designed it really put a lot of attention into the history, and the um, they obviously love the era, so it's not just somebody who took an idea, took a game that already exists and went, you know what would be cool? King Arthur. How about King Arthur? That sounds fun, right? Now, the last one on the list, and is probably the easiest recommendation um, for it because it's inexpensive. Everyone usually has a good time unless you burn yourself out on it. Kayla, I'm going to say that Avalon is the game that is probably the most thematic of the King Arthur games that mm. I w- could endorse today. Interesting. I never would have thought of Avalon because I don't often think about it. Yeah. So describe Avalon for our listener. What if I didn't? <laughs> because Do you it's remember that resistance? memorable. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, of course I know resistance. Um, so I'll, I'll save Kayla here. But King Arthur. Yeah, that's the best way to put makes it. Makes an appearance. So uh, for anyone who's played it, resistance is a game where you have two sides going at it. You have the rebels and you have the uh, authoritarian government. And the rebels are trying to c- commit various sort of uh, actions against the government. And if they are able to successfully commit X amount, they win. And if the government is able to get one of their agents and sabotage X amount mm-hmm. of missions, they win. Has so, anyone not played Resistance? I don't know. It's it's It was crazy popular for a while, and then I think it died off because I think the tension is so high in those types of games. It is The tension is fun. Anyways, continue. So Avalon is... I don't know if it came before Resistance or after, um, but Avalon is the only one you really need to own, to be honest, because... Um, Resistance out of the box is missing a bunch of things that Avalon out of the box has, and which is that Avalon comes with a bunch of expansions, or not expansions, variants for the game, and it has one of these really cool ideas, which is that one of the players is Merlin. And I think we may have talked about this on the last show, but I could be wrong here, but um, Avalon takes place, again, going kind of doubling back here in the Arthurian world, and it grabs a similar mechanics from Resistance in which everyone is a knight. And everyone supposedly is on the same team, except there are some bad knights who are into the mix. And there are also bad knight leaders. And some of them do different things. And the good guys also have some special uh, features as well. And there are a couple of guys that do different things. But the main character that's really interesting is our uh, Merlin, excuse me. And what Merlin does is that the way the game works normally is that nobody except the bad guys know who's on their team. Uh, So everyone closes their eyes, and then the person who's kind of guiding it says, all right, all the bad guys, open your eyes. And they all open their eyes, they look at each other, and they know they're all on their team. Then they close their eyes. And then what they say is like, all right, now Merlin, open your eyes. So Merlin opens his or her eyes, and then they get this, and then the person will say, all right, all the bad guys, put your thumbs up in the air. So then their thumbs are in the air, and Merlin now knows who all the bad guys are in the entire team, but they don't know who Merlin is. So then their thumbs go down, the game starts as normal, and what happens is the person in charge of leading the mission picks people to go on the mission, and the different amount of people goes up from uh, at the beginning, 
and you have to pick people who you think are going to pass this mission. And if you pick people who are all good and they all pass a mission because it all everyone goes in their pockets and they secretly select a pass or fail icon. And all it takes is one person to choose a fail icon and the mission's a failure. But if everyone passes it, you think, great, we're all on the good guys team. Everyone here is good. The problem is sometimes bad guys will pass a mission just to get in the good graces of the team and then get themselves on a future missions and then sabotage it. Sometimes bad guys catastrophically screw up and every one of them fails a mission <laughs> and everyone realizes that nobody is ever going to take these guys on a mission ever again. But going back to the cool part is that because Merlin knows who they are, Merlin is secretly trying to pass messages to the people on the good guys team to get them to not take certain people or to, um, I think one of the characters is uh, especially bad, so you can pinpoint that guy and try to get him to go. I could be screwing this up, it's been a while. Um, but the issue is that if, Mer so let's say the good guys win, they've taken enough successful missions, the bad guys have one last chance to win, and if they're able to point out who Merlin is successfully, then they win, no matter what. So Merlin can't just like, <laughs> say okay uh, Joel's a bad guy Kale's a bad guy Jack's a bad guy alright we win don't take them on missions ever again because they've just revealed themselves and no matter what they can just point to them and say oh you're Merlin you lose so you have to be sneaky about it and I think it was last show Joel was talking about how we played together once and I guess Joel was feeding information to Kayla and Kayla was more or less semi-explicitly saying all the things Joel wanted her to say so at the end of the game the enemy team went, well, clearly Kayla's Merlin, all this information. And then they went, you're Merlin. And Kayla went, no, not me. And then Joel <laughs> flipped over his Merlin thing. and uh, 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 uh. Classic double bluff. But it's a really cute game. And I think it's, if you, it's not for people who can't, who are quiet. It's not for people who can't stand being betrayed or betraying people. And it's not for sensitive souls. It's definitely a game for if everyone's had a couple beers and and they're get, you're getting into it too, right? Because you start to see this begging, take me on the mission, take me on the mission. I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I'm a, a good, good guy. guy. I'm a good guy. Really, I am. I promise. I remember once Evan betrayed me so hard in resistance that <laughs> my heart nearly broke. He, he had me hook, line, and sinker when we played uh, a while ago. But Kayla, tell me about your feelings on Resistance and Avalon. Like, what do you think about these games? I really like these games. I think we played them a lot for a little period of time. So we got burnt out on them and we haven't yeah. played them much lately. But I think that they're really great party games. Yeah. I think they're definitely up there. They're easy. They can go uh, for really big groups. Um, you can have tons of people playing them. And I think they're yeah, really... Yeah, it goes with the eight, I think. Yeah, I think they're really... I thought Resistance went up higher. It doesn't? All right. Well, it, uh, it's a significant regardless. count. Yeah, yeah. I think it's they're really accessible. I think they're fun. I do, like you said, I think it's best when... You've had a few beers because everyone's tongue's a little bit looser. Everyone's feeling is. a little bit more inclined to yell and speak up. Because if you are quiet, then you're you're not going to have a good time because you have to be in it. You have to be in the fray. Otherwise, you're not going to feel like you're having a good time. That's exactly that. You can't be... You need to... Cause it's no a, wallflowering. No wallflowers because also... If you wallflower, you also, because the game is so based on these boisterous personalities, if you wallflower, it makes people suspicious because yeah. why are you being so quiet here? And it's also not very fun too. It'd be like playing Telstrations and just like... Drawing a circle. Drawing time. a circle or maybe like a stick figure doing something. And it just like, maybe that works for you, but it's not much fun for the person next to you trying to uh, do this sort of stuff. But um, I keep saying this, but I think it came up in the last episode as well. It gets into games that require a lot more people putting into them so some games are experience generators in the sense that resistance on its own or avalon 
isn't much of a game on the surface. It's a fun game. It's a, it's it does what it does really well. But if you play with people who aren't into it or just sitting there and just like, well, you, you what's going on this mission? No, don't take that person. Okay, I didn't take that person. It, what's the point? It's all about accusing Boring. people. Rant, like you're you're shouting things at people. You're telling them they're wrong, and you're saying this mission's failed. I don't want to go on this mission because another part too is you can vote whether you want the mission to go ahead or not. Because if the leaders picked people you don't like, you can say mm, I don't want them to go. And if you get a majority vote on that, I think the mission is considered to be scrapped, and then somebody else gets to pick it. So it's just another example of these types of games that really. If you want to have a good time, make it be a good time because it, it's not something like, let's say, Concordia, where you sit down and the game itself is it's right there. You don't need to role play as a merchant in the Mediterranean in the, during the Roman Empire to, <laughs> to get a lot out of it. And it's also inexpensive. Um, I think you can get it for under, t- you should be paying no less than, or no more than 20 bucks or $21 for the game. And it's just cards and a bit of thick cardboard and stuff. But are they, any other throwing games you would recommend, Kayla? Or would we be a movie or a book? Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. We'll give Feast for Odin the, the nod here then. Because like Kayla's saying, there is the option as one of the pillage actions. I don't think you can build the Holy Grail as part of like a... To pillage it. That and the crown of England. And the crown of England. That gives you a bonus point too. Yeah. And I think even in Uvi's liner notes, it says something like the Queen of England is <laughs> would appreciate it back when you're done implying <laughs> it's like, oh, you, you just lent it or something yes. along those lines. But Spamalot, great little show. Monty Python, Holy Grail, great little movie that I think people maybe have burned out. Maybe we should out. watch it tonight. Yeah, maybe we'll watch it tonight. Uh, people have burned out on a little bit, though, as a good example of something that's maybe been watched so many times Meh. and referenced so many times. So what does that sound mean, Jack? Kayla, those jaunty drums and bouncy bass indicate that we are at the end of another episode of Android's Dungeon. Another excellent episode. Oh, it might be the best one yet. Possibly. Had everything. Thrills, chills, spills, joels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack. I'm Kayla. Thank you for listening. Check us out on all the instant instant social, social media. media. <laughs> instant messaging is what I was trying to say there. For you a can second. instant message us if you want. Yeah. Knock us out. Uh... Have a great day. Play some good games. Thank you.